Just a little programming note before we begin. Uh, we'll have a current events pod coming early next week, but this is our last live podcast for a short while. That said, we'll have something special for you coming towards the end of next week, so please stay tuned, and we'll be back in the saddle in early February. So don't touch that dial, because we're not going anywhere, just taking a little break. Okay, on to the cold open, and then to the pod. I say this later on in the podcast, but I've been waiting a long time to have an artist, a curator, and a collector all on the same pod, let alone an artist, curator, and collector who have all been doing this crypto art thing for so long that they can comment on, critique, and pierce the veil of all crypto art's many eras with real weight. But my wish today was finally granted. It's hard to know what to discuss when you have a curator as storied and respected as Eleonora Brizzi. She worked for years with Ai Weiwei, for God's sakes. A collector as prolific as Colborn, and an artist with one of the most iconic styles and attitudes in crypto art, that would be Mohara Gonzalez, all on the show. I mean, what haven't they all talked about before? On interviews, on panels, in articles, through their art? A little sports analogy for you all here. I decided to do what a quarterback does when they have a truly great receiver. I just threw the ball up knowing that they would make a play. And no surprises here, every time one of the three got going today, all manner of insight and intellect came pouring out. On today's pod, we talk a lot about early crypto art royalty, Dada and their creeps and weirdos, Rare Pepe's art gnome. We talk a lot about how things have changed in crypto art since 2017 to 2018. We talk about curation and what's inspiring in crypto art today, what sucks about crypto art today, some moments throughout the last half decade that were especially meaningful, and a whole lot more. Today's guests are a whole lot more interesting and eloquent than I am, so let's just get to it. Please enjoy this conversation between Colborn, myself, Mohara Gonzalez, and Eleonora Brizzi on today's Mocha Live podcast. everybody and welcome to another episode of the mocha live podcast it is 6 3 p.m eastern standard time here in beautiful brooklyn new york my name is max cohen i will be one of your hosts today joining me for the mocha live podcast i got a whole slew of folks who are just so excited to talk about crypto art um first my uh inimitable co-host that would be colborn bell here as always what's up colborn how you doing i'm great max pleasure to be here thank you max for joining and eleonora yeah we got eleonora brizzi in the house ace curator and crypto art og eleonora how are you doing i'm very good thank you for having me hi mox very happy to be here for this artist yeah and then our last guest of the day is the i don't know if I my first gut was instinct was to say award winning, but uh, someone who's been <laughs> since 2017, uh, you absolutely know his pop art, flashy, referential style. Um, we're going to talk about all sorts of things today: the past, present, future of crypto art. And uh, so, please give a warm welcome to our final guest of the day. That would be uh, Mohara Gonzalez. Mohara, thanks for coming on the pod. Gracias, gracias. Thanks for for having me. Yeah, absolutely. We've been trying to. I've been trying to get you on. I've been dipping in your inbox like once a week for the last like two months. I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, it was, it was a really busy month, last month, but I'm here. Yeah, so let's just jump right in. Um, so Max, I want to start with you. You know, I was 
reading some of the stuff that you've um, had published in the past, and I found a, a 2018 interview you did with Art Gnome, and uh, I'm going to butcher the name, but Keisha Freialdenhoven, uh, and you said, and uh-huh. I quote, while I'm super hyped about this digital art market, I couldn't call myself an innovator. I'm just a player in the game. I like this game a lot. So that was six years ago. And I'm wondering, yeah. you know, you didn't see yourself as an innovator at the time, it seems. I think pretty much everyone who knows you at this point would disagree with that. I think you're very much an innovator. But I'm wondering, like, in those early eras in 2018, who around you did you believe to be innovators? Around that, that time, I think, obviously, a lot of money and maybe Xcopy and all the real OGs of the, of the scene. And, uh, and the, the Pepe's, the Pepe, the Pepe crew were the, the real innovators in all this early scene. Did you find Pepe's first or did you find Dada first? Because I know that your earliest experience, correct me if I'm wrong, was finding Dada from a Facebook ad. Yeah, that sucks. But yeah, I, I was in Dada first and then I, I get to know the, all the Pepe people. What was it like? just this like early data era can you walk us through just like what the vibe was like in this era when things started minting and like what people were feeling at the time at that time we were just drawing on the on the platform and at some point i don't know if bea or judy wanted to monetize all the all the art that we had on the platform and they were jumping from trying to sell the drawings on some shitty places like I can't remember the name, but they, they were trying to sell the the art on t shirts and <laughs> cups and you know. Yeah. And then I think they get to know the CryptoPunks and the, the Pepe the Pepe guys on the on the first when they when they Pepe, the first Pepe sold really high. You remember that? The Rare one. That show? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the Rare, Rare Fest. Yeah, that, that's when, when all the, the crypto and data merge came to. And Eleonora and Colborn, what was your first experience like with data? When, when did you become aware that like um, this, that whole kind of part of the ecosystem was happening? Was that like smack when you first kind of started realizing that there was something here? Or was it kind of, did it take some time? Because I think obviously from today's standpoint, data, in my opinion, doesn't get nearly as much recognition as they deserve. And I feel like it, even for me, coming into this world through the Mocha lens, it took some time before I kind of realized what creeps and weirdos were you know who mohara was as you know one of the seminal figures involved in the creeps and weirdos collection you go first you were way before me um so i so i met dada the same night that i met the pepe people which was uh september 2018 in that uh conference that we talked about earlier uh, like uh, September 2018, uh, this yeah. conference in Manhattan, National Arts Club, where the Dada people and the Pepe people and uh, Super Rare and Jessica Inger uh, were there. And so we, so yeah, so then after this conference, we went for dinner and Judy was sitting in front of me, I believe. I think the bear was there as well. And they were talking about, you know, we have this platform and artists answer through each other. 
So Judy was explaining how Dada was uh, and Bea, they were explaining how Dada is this place and platform where artists answer to each other through drawings. And so basically like the final uh, artwork that you have is a collaborative artwork. It's, it's this like conversation, it's conversations. And it was very fascinating. So that that's the first time that I ever met the Dada people, actually it was the founders. And then, um, I mean, from there, I entered through uh, the Pepys, and then we organized together the Rare AF2 in 2019. But I I got, like, for me, Dada was always, um, as I already mentioned, like, one of my favorite projects. Um, it's like the, you know, it's this collaborative art project. Um, it's a collective. It's a, it's a collective of people that don't vote, when they make decision, but they deliberate, meaning that they're there until everyone reaches consensus. I mean, it's a very specific uh, group of innovators. You know, they're like proposing new ways uh, for economy um, to sustain artists, like the invisible economy where the intrinsic values are more valuable than the monetary value. I mean, it's a whole ecosystem that I curated this show for Dada for the Digital Culture Center in Milan in May. And it was so difficult, but great to put together. Like we created, um, they created a map for the Dada ecosystem. It's huge. It's incredible. You have the art, you have the technology innovation when decoded the royalties, and you have new uh, proposals for new economies. And the story of the royalties, I mean, or the right Yeah, sure. Why not? And so Dada is the, they, they were the first to code royalties on the blockchain. And so in 2017, the collection that you mentioned, the Crips and Weirdos, which is their historical collection, they took the code of um, the CryptoPunks and then, uh, the crypt, yeah. yeah, then changed it um, for the historical collection. And since they were a collective of artists that try to, you know, they ask themselves, like, how are we going to capture value for the future of these artists? And so maybe we can add something for which if in the future the works are going to be sold, a part of the monetary value is coming back to the to the artists. And this is how royalties were born. So you understand that it's like a massive presence in the crypto art space for many, many reasons. Mohara, I'm curious, like, when did you, you know, obviously 2017 was ages ago at this point. Every year in crypto is a thousand years in real time. And maybe it's hard to go back all the way back to 2017, 2018. But like, when did you first realize that crypto art was like legitimately happening, that there was a network here beyond just data of artists and curators and thinkers who were like interested in creating like legitimate art movement, like within this kind of blockchain world? Well, it was like uh, that time when I sold my 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 first pieces, and when that Arnum article happened, I was like, oh, "Okay, this this shit, this magical uh, internet money stuff is happening." Mm -hmm. And then the that was the my first uh, bear market. So I was like, "Oh, my my magical internet money is, isn't worth anymore." <laughs> So I was like, oh, okay, I, I, I will just be lurking around on Twitter and following all the artists that were involved in all the galleries and stuff. But yeah, it was like, 
okay, let, let's wait and see what happens. And then 2020 happened. And it was a, a really big moment for all the crypto art scene. It was a, a really sucky time for everybody. But for me, it was like, oh, cool. <laughs> everybody is living the Mojarra life because I, I have been always like a loner and I love to be in my house and just draw. And I, I just go out to, to take a, a walk for, for my dog. So it was like COVID time. It was, it was like Mojarra time for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so that's really interesting. You know, just this, the, you just said that you like, like to be alone essentially, right? That you're a loner. When so much of your art is referential to things that kind of everyone is talking about, like I just noticed today, you released a piece, I think it was like 11 hours ago, um, referencing Jamie Demons, the JP Morgan CEO's comments on Bitcoin from yesterday. So even though you're like a self-styled loner, you're like engaging with what's happening in the online ecosystem in real time all the time. Where's the like, how do you jive those two things? Yeah, I'm more connected on online than in real life. And I'm just I'm just looking to to the news of the crypto news <laughs> that are happening like every day and there's a lot of everyday everyday drama. So I try to <laughs> to make a a comment on some of the stuff that are happening like daily. Not really daily daily, but some 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 daily works, yeah. What's it about a certain news story or an, an event that's happening in crypto art that grabs you that you say you have to make an art piece about this? Like, what's the process of information filtering down into like the eventual creation of an artwork? Well, maybe it's like when I can make like a funny comment on the on the on the news that I am reading. <laughs> it's like w when I get that con connection of. I can be like trolling about that that story. It's when I connect and then I connect it to some pop image or something. And yeah, that's like the the quick process. And then I have to draw like really, really quick because I, I don't use like generative art or uh, AI stuff. Yeah, I, I like the AI stuff, but I hardly, I get lost sometimes with AI, so I like to draw everything. I call Mohara the, you know, the journalist of crypto art, but fun. Uh, it's, like a, yeah. it's like having a draw, like a, so it's like having a newspaper. I always thought about having this, like creating this newspaper with him. And then when I was interviewing him for the, the book that I curated for Ritzoli, he actually told me that his previous job was to draw for you. And ah, I met, but it's so you, it's yeah. so, I thought I like, I, I, you know, I, like I always thought about, we should do a magazine, we should do like a newspaper with you. And then mm. it was working there. So you only have a certain amount of time that you come, you have to come up with something, with something very quick and great. So I think that you can really see like a little bit of influence from that uh, working experience in his art. But also, like, I think that his level of, first of all, is, uh, you know, magnificent in the way he draws, uh, obviously. But the, 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 the capability of, like, catching details in 
like in the image or on about people or about facts like the the piece that you see here in the background is a is this piece which is called uh mart Fario. so it was a piece um Anyways, like I have this space on uh, Super Rare and it's about like documenting uh, our time. So like I ask artists to uh, create artworks that can actually, you know, if, if we look back in like 20 years, we look back at these artworks, we have a sense of what was happening in our time. So they usually comment fact, something that is happening in society or something ironic, everything that they think should be like uh, uh, commented about. And then as an example, I gave this, it was, it was called like the speaking sculptures in Rome. So you have these statues. Yeah, the, and, the talking sculptures. Yeah, the yeah. talking sculptures. And one of these was, is Pasquino, which is this um, statue that we have in, in the center of Rome and uh, where people used to write even today, but today now it's just, a, uh, you know, like a legend. But they used to write all the, like, uh, protest messages or you know like political views and stick on this talking statue and so it was mm. like a whole center of like what's going on with people even for like bosses to understand you know to get and so max quickly looked i didn't even know about this this is another talking statue in rome what is the original name uh max i think it was Mar marforio yeah, Mar or something which is like what the it's like a the one of the like a god of the sea or something and he yeah i think he, he's like neptuno yeah neptuno yeah. and then he transformed into art for you and who you see here is jason bailey so in yeah and <laughs> like you can't see it here but like in the actual um statue in rome like the marble statue it, there is um uh the you know the head of a cardinal and he replaced with uh jason bailey's dog and all the details that you see here it's it's like incredible and so he has this capability of very detailed and ironically comment through art about facts and things it's just incredible so, Max, I actually really wanted to talk about Art Gnome because I had interviewed Art Gnome months ago and I had asked him like his first kind of crypto art experiences. And he had talked about finding you through Dada and I think exchanging a piece with you for like $3, which and it was like the first example. Yeah. I think I'm going to paraphrase what he said, but it was like proof that it was possible to like buy, sell, market, see art and nobody, the platforms, you as the artist, him as the buyer, nobody thought that there was any capability there. Can you talk a bit about like what it was like finding someone like Art Gnome way, way back in the beginning, like before that there's any of this, right? And making that sale for the first time and then forming that connection. Cause he was harping on like, now I have this friend from Mexico for life, which I thought was really beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was really cool because he he bought the, the, the know me piece that he, he gave the name for the for that piece that he bought and it was really fun because he he bought it and then i i was like what the fuck who is this guy that that bought my piece and then i found out that he had a a blog about art so i i i reached out to him and we started to talk on on twitter 
And it was like a really fun connection because you never get to know your collector in, in the in the normy <laughs> art art scene. You just put your art over there and somebody buys your stuff. But th this was like a really cool way to to get to know your collector and for the collector it was like really cool to talk to the to the living artist because that doesn't happen like well, your dad. <laughs> every day yeah and yeah and then we get to talk about all the things that we that we we like we like mezcal and we like i don't know grunge and nirvana and all that that stuff he's like my my another brother from another mother he he's really cool <laughs> from another big mother <laughs> I don't think we've ever had this breakdown of individuals in the podcast before. And it's kind of like a dream for me to have like a curator, a collector and an artist here all with like experience mm -hmm. and early NFTs. So like, I, I you're going to hate me for asking, I think what are going to sound like pretty generalized questions, but I think it's very rare to have like this assemblage of people in the same space with this kind of experience. And I'm like, one of the things I wanted to ask you, Mox, was like talking about these early data pieces on the Creeps and Weirdos collection, right? I'm going to, I don't know the names, so I forgive me, but like, you know, you have the refrigerator man, you have the face, Nomi. like, Nomi. Nomi, the face that's throwing up rainbows. Unicorn um, fab sickness. Unicorn fab sickness. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and then uh, a piece that Colborn actually gifted me, which is wonderful. Um, the Chihuahua smoking a blunt. Uh -huh. Hell yeah. Uh, the, the, the Chihuahua, the, yeah, the stone, the stone it's, Chihuahua. It's <laughs> And one of the things that I feels weird. I just I just think this is wonderful because like those pieces are so recognizably yours, even though the styles completely changed. Like, yeah, you use a lot of color back then, they're irreverent, but like you have done something that I, I just find is so fascinating about all of the early artists in crypto art, which is somehow maintaining a cohesion of practice across eras that's true to one's own spirit and aesthetic, but still pushes boundaries. And I want to ask all of you about that because I imagine you all have slightly different perspectives on it being, you know, having slightly different vantage points. Um, Mox, maybe we could just start with you. Like, how does one even accomplish that? You know, imagine someone coming into this movement today and just seeing this glut of artwork. Like, how do you evolve in rhythm with crypto art, but not like get eaten up by it? Does that make sense? Um, no, <laughs> uh, that's fair. Well, like, you know, there's, there's so, how do you avoid, like, how do you keep true to yourself while not being, I guess, distracted by all of the other influences of aesthetics or culture or momentariness that we're all confronted with in crypto art every day? Oh, okay. Maybe because I, I came, I come from the grunge and punk scene. So I don't really give a fuck about uh, fashion and what's important in the in the market. I just do my my stuff and yeah, it's that like DIY. Just be true to yourself and don't be a fucking sellout. <laughs> well, uh, Eleanor, I'm curious from your opinion as or your vantage point as a curator. You know, seeing these artists you know, Mohara at all through the last five years, you know, I, I'd love maybe like, if you have some examples that jump off the top of your head, but like, who have you seen that has been able to do what Mohara has done? 
maintain a cohesive kind of like evolving aesthetic, but still having a kind of like continuing like journey. Let me start with a critique about this. I think that very few artists are doing what you are talking about, meaning that there are two extremes. The, the one extreme is, as Mojaro said, like the sold out, like, okay, are we now all expecting like a, a you know, more fluid, like um, AI kind of uh, aesthetic based on the fact that many people are using certain tools? Yeah. So now I'm going to try with that and I'm completely like, I'm going to follow the trend. That's the first extreme. But the second extreme is all these artists and it's, many of them um and it's a it's a uh, curator critic uh falling um becoming slaves of their own style because of the market because we can talk about x copy i love x copy full stop okay great but it's been years that an X copy, and it's and it's it's the greatness of X copy is that you can have one hundred thousand people trying to do the <laughs> flashy uh, artworks, and still I will say like that's not an X copy. And if I see it from far away, it's like oh that's X copy. It's great. It's like only masters can do that. But sometimes because of the market and because of the prices and because of the expectations of collectors and investors. And what if I buy an artwork by X copy for, I don't know, $500,000, I expect to get an X copy. I don't want to get a thing that doesn't look like what in my mind looks like an X copy. So it is very difficult to keep um, your truth but also keep experimenting. Otherwise, mm. you're not an artist anymore. You're a product. So I am conflicted and always trying to see, like, always trying to encourage to stay truth to who you are, but also to put yourself outside of your uh, comfort zone. Otherwise, we just have brands. I, I said ex-copy because he can uh, he can deal with that. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I mean, we're never we're never going to shut up about Matt Cain's contractual obligations, but I think that was the whole point. Fantastic. What are you obligated to in your relationship with the marketplace to deliver to people that have already prepaid with an expectation that they're yeah. going to get a Matt Cain? Yeah. Um, and I think that's a lot of of what Eleanor is talking about yeah. and um yeah like like a brand yeah yeah, yeah. and uh you know i have to uh, applaud mohara because i remember there was like a definitive moment where you you leapt more to like the bright flashing visual pop style uh and i think it was in that you know good morning assholes like you little capitalist piece that i might have <laughs> yeah that i ended up buying because i just I loved it. And I love, I've said it again and again, I love artwork that is responsive to the culture of the moment, such that it is a time capsule when somebody is like pointing the finger down and saying, was it Brian Eno? It was somebody like that. Some, it, it was Brian yeah, Eno. It was yeah. Brian Eno who said like, look at all these, these capitalist little assholes <laughs> with their NFTs. Uh, and it's just like a great, it, it's a, it's a great piece. And that's why I like I feel so I'm I'm so fascinated by the idea of like 
deciding what it is is our responsibility to like preserve you know every week that we do these podcasts every week i do a newsletter you know it's my own little way of doing it and it's obviously not as flashy but you have to make some kind of a choice about what we're focusing on right what's important and you're always going to miss you know the glut of what's going on here you're going to miss the little moments you're going to miss so much i i do feel like some of that spirit that has i mean I, i'm not the best person to talk about it but in my you know archival research you know, you can tell like there, there's not that much responsiveness to like an individual tweet, right? There's not as much of like this kind of like trash art idea where you are responding to something somebody has said in the moment and kind of just like you're basically creating an, not in a negative way, but an exclusive class, right? Because you're either going to look at like that piece, Mohara, that you created just uh, today or yesterday of uh, Jamie Demon or referencing Jamie Demon, like you have to know what that situation is in order to understand what the artwork is. Like, do you think that people are looking at your artworks or have looked at your artworks and are then encouraged to go seek out more context, or do you think that your artworks seek out people who already have that context? Yeah, I think that's. I was talking about that with my friend Bercanas like last week. Mm. Like it's, I have to, to give some, like my family, they, they don't get all the crypto information. Like they don't, they don't know all the, all the lore. <laughs> so, so sometimes I, I have to give them some context about, about what I am trying to reference on, on my drawings. Mm. So, yeah. And, and maybe that's. Sometimes I, I call myself like crypto artist because I make art referencing crypto themes, mm. not just because I'm tokenizing. Well, that's like the, uh, you know, obviously nobody has been able to, as far as I know, really encapsulate what crypto art is. But the best, like I, I think that we're starting to come up against this divide, um where there is some kind of crypto art and then there is also just blockchain based digital art. And we're starting to see that schism. Um, I mean, we were talking about Sotheby's Eleonora a short while ago. Sotheby's loves to not use the word crypto art when they have these digital art auctions. And that seems pregnant with some kind of meaning. Like, why do you think that there is on the institutional side, this dislike of using the terminology that has evolved from within this movement i mean is it is it about maintaining power because to me it just thinks more of like ignorance yeah it's not ignorance it's it's uh i mean the, the, if, if you now pronounce the word nft to an institution they're gonna oh. have shivers yeah shivers it's like and stop you can't say nft anymore after 2023 <laughs> it's like it's crazy but they were very happy very to pronounce the word NFT in 2021. They're super <laughs> happy, but it's true. Yeah. So I don't think that it's ignorance at all. I think that it's playing the market. It's if we we suddenly even our people. I mean, from the NFT space, they're calling it digital art. The word mm. NFT last year completely disappeared from everywhere. Yeah, it's crazy. So that's not ignorance. Colborn, one thing that I remember you saying to me at the. I think the very outset of our relationship, you know, together and like at my employment at the museum was you were talking about, and again, this is you know, late 2021. So the context obviously then would be entirely different, but you were very 
bullish, I suppose, on the idea of just the NFT as a distribution mechanism more than some kind of cultural signifier. I imagine you've turned away from that philosophy at this point. Uh, I was talking about this recently in that we still don't have, despite the transparency, we still don't, if, if we think of these things as like art and ego and trophy assets in the way that other like art world does, uh, we don't have the means to display them properly in, in mm. that sense. So maybe we don't have the worlds in which to display them or people are not participating or, um, so in, in that sense, I think still the only thing we've solved is how to do a trustless distribution transaction from a collector to an artist. Uh, but, you know, what is the, the subsequent value of that work? Well, you know, that's where the money ran far ahead of itself. And it's going to come back down 80, 90 percent because this was our first big wave. But it's not going anywhere, I don't think, because we have made almost NFT analogous to the de facto digital art market. I can't imagine anybody like making and distributing and creating digital art almost without an NFT at this point. Yeah, but I'm glad you brought up display because thinking about the fact that there is really no display capability on a wide scale for most of this art to be seen, you end up having people leading the market, um, like uh, Rafiq Anadol, just to briefly invoke somebody who has access to incredible display technology, which is going to set them apart from the rest. <laughs> well, you know, uh, you know what I mean, right? Like expensive display technology yeah, yeah, yeah. is a, probably a better way of putting it. The, the big ball of Las Vegas. Yeah, the, yeah, the, 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 yeah right. The Sorry, I just said screensaver technology. I'm going to say it aloud. So you know that I was not laughing with you. Uh, I, was <laughs> <laughs> I, I love screensaver art. <laughs> I think that the th the thing that interests me about you, Mohar, is that your work is for the medium in which it's seen, right? So uh, outside of so much, with so much crypto art, it's not meant to be seen momentarily on Twitter, right? It, that's a bastardization of what it is. Your work, however, because it's so referential to what's going on and because it's so bright and flashy and attention grabbing and because it like, it kind of captures a moment and then allows it to kind of be the moment and the artwork itself to kind of flow back into this river of events. Like your artwork is perfect for the environment in which it is seen. Like, do you ever think about that? Do you, does that factor into like what you choose to create art about? Uh, about where, where it can be seen. Yeah. Like your, your work just feels perfect for Twitter, right? It feels like, instead of all these artists who are like using twitter because they have to yeah. even though that's where this is and they're basically trying to get people off of twitter to see their work your work adapts to the medium which it is most commonly seen on yeah because it's like journalism it's like it's the news mohara is the news yeah it's, so it's supposed to be it's like it's like the, the 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 comments on the on the news of the day yeah, yeah. Like, like Eleonora said. It's like quick. It's supposed to be good. So it's perfect for social media because the entire thing is if you read it, if you, if you read it, if you, if you see the artwork tomorrow, you're already very late. But mm. not because of many reasons of the you know, NFT space. You're very late because the news was, the big thing was yesterday. So mm. like it captures time, but so it, it's actually like it's, uh, fruition is very quick and like 
in the moment. And when I, I tokenize them, uh, they are like timestamps. It is almost purposefully outside of the market, right? You're creating works that are meant to kind of be seen within the moment and then be harder and harder to access naturally because people are going to have less access to that information. I know you said, you know, it's, it's important to remain outside of the market so as not to become a brand. And I think you've handled that or managed that particularly well amongst crypto artists in general. I mean, the amount of just like institutional respect that you command is uncommon to begin with. Like, do you make a conscious choice when you create this artwork to either not market it, to like tokenize as much as possible? I, I tokenize them when I, I think it's like the, the moment I have to tokenize them. Maybe sometimes I don't tokenize it at the moment because I get like really lazy. <laughs> so I, I, don't, I, don't want, I, I don't want to connect my wallet and blah, 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 and mint all that stuff. So yeah, <laughs> sometimes I is like, oh shit, I should have minted that. But yeah, and, and for the, what was the other question? Well, it was more just along those lines of like, you remain even in that process, right? Of creating art and putting it out into the world and not tokenizing it. You're theoretically keeping yourself from making money that you could otherwise. And a lot of people who are commentators on the market would say, don't do that. Tokenize sparingly, you know, have a very, very carefully put together art career. And you, I don't know, flamboyantly do the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, I, I don't really care. I just tokenize it when, when I want. And sometimes I, I forget about it. Yeah, it's just, it's kind of wonderful. And it's just because it's so opposite to these very tired and constant conversations that we see about, especially like influencers, marketeers, trying to tell artists how much they should mint, when they should mint, you know, what they should be offering to their collectors, the value that they're creating. I'm impressed at your desire to just not be associated with value in the way that we commonly think of it. Yeah, I, I really fucking hate influencers. And, and I'm really lucky because I haven't got any DMs of, or of <laughs> about like these assholes trying to, to tell me what to do with my art. You know, I, I think that in a lot of ways comes down to just this like OG status, right? That you had years to be able to build these connections with artists, curators, collectors. Colborn, do you think that the same ability to step outside of the market intentionally, if that were something you were interested in, do you think that's available to artists who are newer to the space, 2022, 23, 24? Or do you think that like that path is now inaccessible because didn't have time to create those connections? Well, I think we were talking earlier a little bit about kind of the power of these early connections and what it means to be so heavily involved in the market when the market doesn't exist anymore and the power of those connections now that we are almost like past this point. It's uh, you either have your integrity in that regard or you or you don't. And I think everybody can can begin to point to the people who you know, might have came in, extracted, or might have compromised on some sort of values. And, you know, those things don't really matter in bull markets, but they matter yeah. a fuck ton in, at the, you know, the back end of a bear. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think now 
you know, we are closer or more uh, aligned and tighter and like, you know, we, we've met every, most people and we know who is in our circle and compared to three years ago, that circle has gotten significantly larger. And this is like how we build, this is how we grow. And this is how we, I think, know that no matter what it is up or down, that we're still going to be here together fighting for what is a values base as opposed to what is a, a value base. Eleonora, what is the art that you're seeing created today? And especially by folks who don't have this kind of like OG institutional, like connection base, like what's exciting you about crypto art right now? Um, I am personally <laughs> not there. No. Yeah, you're like, oh, <laughs> let me think of something. Uh, <laughs> I was like, a... <laughs> okay. yeah. That was deep. Like, well, I was like, guys, at a certain point, someone should say the generative art is boring. Now, and like, <laughs> I said, why don't you say it? Because I don't know, you know, but Boom. I mean, obviously now maybe we shouldn't say very generic comment it was a joke but every trend becomes very boring every trend especially if it's something yeah. which is like a as operator would say it's like a tech demo or even not that it's even not tech anymore it's just generic it's, it's like all this very similar uh characterless without any sort of like uh Here's, here's how I explained it, and I think I've said it before, but uh, abstract art is the always the, the highest selling art, right? And generative art is like abstract art for techies. And these nobody knows maybe the art, so it's very easy to like relate to and connect with and kind of like justify in its abstractness a broader audience swath. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Like engineer, yeah. engineer. Art. No, no, obviously, you have generative <laughs> art, which is like miracle artworks. I don't know, like the generative uh, art drop that operator did last year and many others. I mean, it's just incredible. I'm just saying. So, what excites me? Okay. It so isn't to hate on like the best of generative arts, but maybe the breadth of it could end up being almost a lot of copy paste. And most people don't know the code, so they don't understand it. And yes. then, and then there's a lot of uh, it's technical, <laughs> right? It's, it's it's technical. It's kind of how skilled you are technically, as and it could be plus conceptual, but there can be great technical output, which may or may not be considered art. And there's a lot of nuance that the market cannot capture. Yeah. In the moment. Well, I, I want to return to something you said, Eleonora, that I've never really considered before, which is that these trends, they tire themselves out so quickly because there's so many people jumping onto them, right? Yeah. You think about every art movement that came before in the traditional art world, there just weren't that many artists. There were a fraction of the artists involved in crypto art today mm -hmm. who were involved in these landscapes who were adding to it who are having but we are taking these conversations the generative art conversation is you know reaches its apex and then tires itself out in a matter of months instead of a matter of many years mm -hmm. like what happened with pop art or impressionism right where it had the ability to grow over 20 years because there wasn't that many people doing it i've just i've never really thought about that before maybe that's why so much crypto art 
feels kind of trite in any given moment because we're in these epochs between a new thing arising. But as soon as that new thing arises, it's going to be frenzied over. We're going to see really incredible examples of it. And then it's going to kind of have the long tail of people who are fiending after that kind of apex exemplification of the thing. Does that make sense? It does. It's like, a, I don't know, comments, uh, opinions on social media is accessibility. It's, uh, when it's, it's accessible to everyone, you have this kind of, of um, situation. But I mean, in a, in a art genre, I don't know how you want to call it, where the art, where the technology is the breadth of it, it's generative art. Mm. If the creators do not understand the technology or vice versa, if they are coders, there is something that is missing. This is why then the results are uh, gonna say like boring. They're flat because where innovation is not broad, where the tool is not understood, the concept, the conceptual part of it is not understood. Then you have like decorations, you have aesthetic, you have uh, so. But that's a big, you know. I I started with the negative part because it will be what excites me about uh, NFT space right now. Like it's just generative art everywhere, and some of them is fantastic. Sorry, and some some other is really not. So we shouldn't just, uh, you know, it's like all these new collections of generative art uh, being born. Everyone, it's like AI. It's like it's, like it's a trend. Uh, to me, I'm very interested in, um, mm -hmm. which could be also um, uh, considered, I don't know, maybe a niche, but there's always space to, um, to you know, grow for me, for curators, for artists, for everyone. If we study and like research together, I'm very interested in blockchain as a medium. Very. Uh, it's the thing that interests me the most because I really like the blockchain and the possibilities that this technology can provide conceptually to create art. There are a few artists who have been doing that, very few, uh, but there are, is um, incredible. And so to me, it is the moment for like the creators to also, you know, use this tool at its maximum of potential, not as we used it until uh, today, but like Mox decided, for instance, in his crypto art, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, like uh, activity as an artist, it, 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 I mean, he's not using the blockchain as a medium, but he's very specifically referencing the crypto world. So he already has that touch. Uh, well, and now I, would, I would disagree with you. I think Mahar uses the blockchain as a medium. It's just in a different context and over a larger period of time. Like what we see with Mahara's art is the blockchain's ability to preserve tiny infinitesimal moments forevermore. And so you have to look, uh, Mahara, if I'm barking up completely the wrong tree, let me know. But it's like, if, if we look at your work over five years, you see the blockchain being used as a medium almost subtextually or unintentionally because it matters like how things are connected throughout everything you've created. Even though, Eleanor, I think you were referencing like, I don't know. Like I, I, Matt Cain is always the patron saint of that to yeah. me, where it's like the blockchain itself, the time stamping, the ability to like have a program run in perpetuity. Yeah, or you know, more conceptually. No, I, I said Mox is using it as a topic. And the and the the interaction of of the works yeah. is really cool. That 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 generative art that you can interact with. Yeah, it's it's awesome. Yeah. 
So timestamp, timestamp for sure, it mocks art, but timestamp is for everyone. I mean, it's one of the most wonderful things that the blockchain does, and that is very undervalued timestamp. So, but yeah, Mox uses this very much at his, uh, like, uh, as part of his art because he's commenting uh, news. So yes, but blockchain as a medium was intended more like in the, like, uh, you know, blockchain is not only timestamping. Uh, it's I mean, art made with smart contracts. You want to know what I'm excited about? Yes. Yeah, let's hear it. I'm excited about like all the museums uh becoming like marketplaces and minting engines and then they slowly ruin their integrity by like putting the wrong people on and we're the last museum left standing i thought you were going to say that's what's happening to us no 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 the opposite right like all these museums have broken business models so they're moving towards you know selling <laughs> artists as primary and acting as almost like gallerists for yeah. these artists. So I'm really excited for, you know, the, the time, <laughs> the inevitable collapse when the physical location of the museum is really just a gallery and the digital museum is the place that, that hopefully doesn't have to do like the such aggressive pandering to cover absurd overhead. Mohara, I'm going to give the same question to you. What are you excited about in crypto art right now? Oh, right now I'm excited to, I don't know, draw more and make some more, more, more fun comments <laughs> on the ludicrous news about all the ETFs and all this shit that, that is like, uh, I don't know, <laughs> ridiculous. All, 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 all the Solana guys. Yeah, well, let's just everyone calm down because that's where I got my start was on Solana. So, you know, we're not all bad. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, about, it's about onboarding. Yeah, I'm a money grub. Oh, okay, sorry. Yes. Yeah, onboarding educator. <laughs> you sound like Anatoly. Uh, <laughs> I um I really enjoyed this conversation. It went in a bunch of directions that I wasn't prepared for, but I, this was such a wonderful like assemblage of people to have like comment on. I don't know all sorts of weird stuff that's going on that's been going on. Um, you know, at this point of the show, I'm usually like, who has any last words? Um, Mahar, do you have any last thoughts for us before we get out of here? Uh, I don't know. Just grab grab some mezcal. Or some, I don't know, a beer or something. Eleanor, any last thoughts for us before we go? Yeah, I would say that yeah. Mohara, as you all know, is a fantastic artist. That I have seen him operating at a table at the restaurant where they can just only draw even when they're eating with a pencil, drawing on like a tablecloth or drawing everywhere. <laughs> And, and so, sorry, sorry yeah. for staining then, your, your you shirt know, this, that time. Oops. ironic power that he translates into art in one second do you know what he created for me when we were in Milano? i can say that yes, Pisada, i really don't care no eleonora loves tazel but also anyways he's incredible Tezo, his work is incredible and he, he always <laughs> has like his two uh it's also very important to laugh and to get this kind of like irony, especially on the communities of internet. And so it's very like the spirit of his art is very, very internet, very contemporary. Yeah, maybe that's my last words. Important like, to don't take, 
too serious about your work. Just have fun and keep on doing art. <laughs> yeah. You're not big shit. You're not fucking Leonardo da Vinci or something. You're just an artist I don't think doing Vinci stuff. Was that good either. So have fun. <laughs> that's important oh, thing. Yeah, no, yeah, this is like that's like to an Italian. What? <laughs> yeah, sorry, Milano, bro. <laughs> I can denigrate a French artist too if you'd like. <laughs> Manet is overrated. Just go to the Dutch masters. You know. It's, you guys want to have a Vermeer conversation to end the day? <laughs> I don't want to either. Yeah, maybe we'll, have, we'll everyone will come on and we'll talk about just an hour of Vermeer and Rembrandt. That will be cool. <laughs> uh, what can I say that like the artist and curator haven't said themselves? You know, this is a very I think as Mohara has in their bio a con contemporary conversation, <laughs> contemporary conversation. <laughs> For, yeah, I think everybody should uh, <laughs> try to be less contemporary nice. and more contemporary. I don't like, I don't like how you're pronouncing that. Contemporary, okay. no, 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 no. Or, or contemporary. Because... All right, let's uh, let's get out of here. Um, this, this has been a Mocha Live podcast episode that was a whole lot of fun. Thank you so much, Colborn. Thank you, Mohara. Thank you, Eleonora. Um, if if you enjoyed our conversation, please give us a like, a five star review, whatever your local podcast platform of choice allows you to do. Uh, please follow us at uh, museumofcrypto.substack.com. I swear, I've said I say that at the end of every episode. And I can never get it right. Museum of Crypto. Uh, <laughs> museum of just Museum of Crypto. Museum of Crypto. If you want to read some stuff, uh, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you all so much for being here. Thank you so much. For thank listening. you. Thank you. And thank uh, you. yeah, well, I'll be thank back real soon. Bye bye. See you. This podcast was edited and produced by me, Max Cohen. Uh, I'd like to extend a hearty and heartfelt thanks to all my guests today. Coborn for being my wonderful and ever-present co-host. Mohara Gonzalez and Eleonora Brizzi for being the best guests a podcast host could possibly ask for. Thanks to Julian Brangold for composing our intro music and to Dayfox for our cold open theme. And thanks, most of all, to you for listening. We appreciate you being with us. We really appreciate you being with us. And we'll see you soon on another Mocha Live podcast.